Here we go. You are listening to Open Mic Friday on Law and Gospel on this November the 12th in the year of our Lord, 2021. We're getting closer and closer to Christmas, but this is a day when I'll take emails and attempt to respond to them. Attempt? Why don't you respond? Sometimes I get emails that are a little difficult to understand. And this is one that just came in recently. And I was having a little trouble understanding. I'll take a guess at what is meant. But he talks about pastor. I was musing about the Alpha and Omega. Now, Alpha and Omega, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, it's found in Revelation chapter 1, where it says Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. In other words, he's in control of everything. He's all-powerful. There is no power outside of Jesus. Having said that, he says, I was wondering if finding Christ through our modern urban lens is easy though the crowed social isolation of modernity is evident all around us, offering a diversity of constructs. Now, I I think what he's asking, is it easy to find Christ? And the answer is absolutely no. It's not easy to find Christ. In fact, If you take a look at the scripture, one of the best passages Jesus gives is the parable of the lost sheep. The lost sheep did not find Christ. It was lost. And that's the condition of every unbeliever. So how does salvation come about? It comes about by Christ finding you. And how does he do that? He does it through word and sacraments. Uh, For example, we believe that when a little baby is baptized, the baby receives not only the forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit, but also faith. Remember John the baptizer in the womb leaped for joy because of the faith that Jesus had come into the room in the womb of Mary. So there's no doubt there's a diversity of constructs. And I think what is meant by that is there's many ways in which people discover their particular God. Their God may be money. It may be family. It may be their employment. It may be a beautiful house, a beautiful car, etc. And it's difficult to find Christ through the modern urban lens that we're seeing today. But Christ can find you. And how can we help? We can help by sharing the message of witnessing about Jesus Christ when we get the opportunity On Sunday, we were talking about the Beatitudes in the sermon, and we mentioned 
the whole idea that persecution is a blessing. And it's a blessing because it means that we are getting persecuted because of our witness to Jesus Christ. If you are a person who has not felt that you have been persecuted, then perhaps you haven't been witnessing very much. It's really difficult to witness law telling a person that they're really sinful in God's eyes, and then the gospel telling them that Jesus took all that sin and died for it. That's really difficult for a person to receive. But the Holy Spirit works through the words you're saying. In other words, to bring a person to faith, and he believes this. So, there are some questions in this email. Pastor, is the meaning, purpose, and value of our existence augmented by our sacrifices, offerings, and faithful worship? Okay, he put the word faithful in there. If he had just said, are they augmented by our sacrifices, offerings, and worship, then the question would be up in the air. Because we can find in the Old Testament many people who did sacrifices, offerings, attended worship at the synagogue or the temple, and all of that was useless because they had no faith. They were just going through what God told them to do, thinking thereby that they were saved by that. A good example are the Pharisees. Many of the Pharisees believed they didn't need Jesus as a Savior because they were being augmented by their sacrifices, their offerings, and their worship. But it was not faithful worship. In fact, they crucified the Lord. That's not faithful worship. But if you're talking about can the meaning and purpose and value of our existence be augmented by our sacrifices, offerings, and faithful worship, if those are faithful, remember the summary of the second set of commandments is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that would mean sacrificing your time in order to help out the neighbor. That augments, indeed, the purpose of your existence. And in faithful worship, hopefully you're hearing a pastor who is properly preaching law and gospel and not making a mockery out of the worship service and getting involved with things in the church that have nothing to do with a word and sacrament ministry. Maybe they're trying to earn money, or maybe they're trying to do some project that they think is important. That will divide a congregation. And so we need to be very careful that faithful worship means using appropriate hymns, appropriate liturgy, appropriate prayers, and an attitude on the part of the pastor that he is really sincere 
in bringing the message to his people. Okay, next question. Is the crowed social isolation of modernity the proper sanctified place of edification for newly baptized seekers? Has God placed us here and given us clear instructions to obtain holiness from and in him? Well, the last part is pretty easy. God has placed us here because he is our creator. But when we are born, we are sinful human beings and we do not have faith in the true God. So he has given clear instructions through the words of Jesus Christ as to how to be holy from and in him. We've used Abraham many a time. We'll do it again. Abraham, you're going to have a baby. His name is going to be Isaac, even though your wife is way past childbearing age. And believe it or not, after God said that, it took 25 years for Sarah to have Isaac. But Abraham believed the promise and guess what the next sentence is? And it was accounted as righteousness for him. See, this is the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. In every other religion, you merit salvation. In Christianity, you inherit salvation. It's a gift. It's not done on the basis of any work that you have done. Instead, by hearing the word of God or by being baptized, the Holy Spirit converts you and gives you faith. All right. Last question. Will most modern holiness be only nominally effective in achieving salvation if it is sin? with civil modernity. Is the proto-Orthodox Church not affected by a changing power of modernity? Now, I'm understanding modernity in this email uh, to refer to the insights that people have where the Bible is no longer necessary. They corrupt their lives because they decide what is moral and immoral, not God. And of course, the old Adam always takes precedent over the new man. And these people, therefore, end up living lives that are contrary to the will of God. And they think they're achieving salvation by that. In fact, many people aren't even interested in achieving salvation because they don't think they need it. That's why the law always needs to be preached in the sermon to help the listener understand, boy, I do need a savior. And Jesus Christ is the answer. So if I'm correct on what is meant by modernity, and the crowded social isolation of that, 
Uh, perhaps the email writer will write me again and give me some examples of what he considers to be the crowded social isolation of modernity. So that's the first email we want to take a look at. And like I say, every now and then I get an email. It's difficult to answer because I'm not really sure what the email is asking. All right. Next one. The next one is based on, I believe, a Sunday school lesson that I had given on issues, etc., which is also on KFUO. And it was about the fall of Cain and the murder of Abel. And we were talking about that God wasn't interested in Cain's sacrifice. And a lot of people think, well, maybe it's because what he was offering God wasn't suitable. That could be one answer. But this email is interesting. Dearest Pastor Tom, I also agree with a person who said that Cain's wrong motive to God concerning his sacrifice. I tried also to get a hold of you, but could not get through. But our Lord always looks at the heart who nobody knows but him. And I believe God was unhappy with Cain's heart, not his sacrifice. That's a really good insight. And I appreciate that. Because uh, take a look at the times that people sacrifice. The Passover. God instructed through Moses to tell the people to kill a lamb or a goat and put its blood over the door, doorway. And what would happen? The angel of death would pass over. Now, that's exactly what happened. But for that to occur, you had to have faith, belief in the promise of God given to Moses that the angel of death would pass over. And so you can only imagine many of the Egyptians looking at the Jews, uh, the Israelites, as they put blood over their doorway. That seemed kind of odd to do. But the Egyptians did not have the faith. And so there's a perfect example where God was looking at the heart of the person who put the blood over the doorway. And that heart believed the promise of God heard through Moses. You go a little further into the Old Testament, and both the ten tribes in the north and the two tribes in Jerusalem began to worship other idols. And that was terrible. So what did God do? He allowed the northern tribes to be taken into Assyrian captivity and the southern tribes into Babylonian captivity. Why? Because he could read the heart and he was unhappy. It's not that they weren't sacrificing to God 
and sacrificing the appropriate animals or grain or whatever, but their heart didn't believe in the true God. They were practicing idolatry, and that's terrible. So that's an example. And I think good email that Cain's sacrifice was not acceptable because of his heart. What does that mean to you? Well, let's say you get an inheritance, maybe from your mom or dad or someone else, and let's say it's $10,000. I was watching YouTube, interested in plane crashes, and a plane had blown up in the air and one of the engines was missing. They couldn't find it. It had dropped in cornfields and, of course, was hidden. Well, when the harvest of the cornfield began, a woman was harvesting the corn with her machine, and her big machine hit something. She stopped and got out, and there almost buried in the ground was this motor. And the motor had been made by General Motors. So they had put out saying that if anybody can find the motor and get it to us so we can test to see what made the plane fall out of the sky, we would give them $100,000. They got $100,000 for finding a motor from a plane in their cornfield. And it says they kept half and half they got gave to charity. Now, you would think, well, those people would definitely be going to heaven to give $50,000 to charity. But if they gave it with the attitude, I'm going to give that money to charity so I can guarantee my way to heaven, that would be a sin. But if they gave it because of their love for Jesus Christ and wanting to help out people in need, that would be an appropriate sacrifice. Okay, Pastor Baker, I was wondering if you could help me by giving some insights as to how to explain a loving God to someone who has experienced almost an entire life of pain and disappointment. I'm at ease with sharing my faith, but I'm not sure how to help this person. It has really been bad for her. She came from an abusive family, has a painful genetic disability, and has one thing after another for the 20 years I have known her. It almost seems as if she is cursed somehow. What can I say? And this was from Indiana. Well, this email reminds me of a member I had in my congregation. And she had a very tough life. She was divorced and her husband left her and she had children to take care of. And every now and then, I would phone her to see how things were going. 
and it depended on what was happening. She was either very happy or at times disillusioned because things weren't going right. She lost her job. She often didn't have enough money to buy food and we in the church would help her out there. But she had gone to adult instruction and she had heard about the promises of God. So even in those times when she felt disillusioned, we would remind her of what had been taught in adult instruction and not just the hit, <coughs> excuse me, not just the history of the Bible, but the promises connected to the history of Jesus' death and his resurrection specifically, died to take away our sins, rose because we too will also rise from the dead. And that's a real comfort. So that would help her through those difficult times. So you're asking, I'm not sure how to help this person. It's really been bad for her. Well, I, I mentioned recently about going to a bookstore, and Concordia Publishing House has this, where it's promises of the Bible. And the book is filled with promise after promise. But they're categorized. So they're promises for you who have lost a close friend in death, or if you have a problem in keeping your house payments, or your job, or a problem with your children. God gives promises to you, and they are a comfort as well as a guidance as to what can happen. You see, we don't know what word of God often will help someone. The Apostle Saul, I should say Saul before he became an apostle, Paul, on the road to Damascus, when the Lord appeared to him and he fell off his horse, all God said is, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And that changed Paul's understanding of reality. And all his wonderful good works that he was doing in keeping the ceremonial laws, he regarded as garbage in compared to the work that Jesus had done in saving him. And he endured all kinds of persecution, whippings, hunger, thirst, imprisonment. But he was able to do that. He even said, far better to be with Christ than here. But as long as I have this mission, then I will be here with these people to help them come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. So in talking with your friend who's going through difficult times, sometimes you can find a specific Bible verse that might deal, say, with a worry she has about the future. How am I going to get through this? And you can remind her, Romans 8, 28, God works out all things to those who believe in him. Now that's a promise. 
and through faith given to her by the Holy Spirit, she can then have a hope that she might not have had had you not reminded her of that promise. So my goal for you is to continue to give promises from Holy Scripture because that's how God comforts us. In fact, the difference between law and gospel is both have promises, but the law's promise is only on the basis if you do something in order to receive heaven, whereas the gospel promises are only promised by Jesus Christ and are given to you as a free gift. There's nothing you need to do. So law and gospel is very, very important. When people live under the law, they don't think they're good enough for God to take care of them. But when they come to an understanding of the gospel, they hear promises given to even the worst of sinners. I'm Tom Baker. You've been listening to Law and Gospel on this open email Friday. And on Monday, we'll be taking a look at a lesson and help you to understand it from a law and gospel point of view. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.